I left those stories for you online. SummitCharleston.com Summit Church Facebook. You can see the rest. Dr. Crandall is a board member of, I believe, the 700 Club and Regent University. Dr. Crandall, if you go on and read what happened, if you go on and listen and watch his interviews in length, here is a, a very popular cardiologist. Great things have happened. This man, he's well published. He's a scientist at heart, but yet he is a believer. And you go back and you look at this documentary, and this man's body was black. He was black with death. He was black. And then he prays. And if you go on and you listen to the rest of this, which I'm not, I left you hanging so you can go read it. The nurse yells at him. She's like, what do you want us to do? Now that he's come back to life, what do you want us to do? Because he's brain dead, obviously, because he's been dead for at least 40 minutes. What do you want us to do? He said, this man is going to live because of what God's said and what God has done. And so he goes back. He signs this patient over. They send him to the ICU. He signs the patient over to his doctor friend, the other the doctor on residence for the weekend. And he says, there's nothing you can do to hurt this man because he's been raised by the power of Jesus. And then Dr. Crandall goes back in on Monday. That's a Friday. Goes back in on Monday and the man's sitting up in his bed and eating. And see, now I know you don't believe that. Some of you might, but you don't really. You just say, well, you know, the body. Well, the body. Well, let me ask you something. How many times have you been around somebody that pronounced dead, came back to life? Which means maybe sometimes they pronounce us dead and we're not. You see, because everything is a statistical analysis. Everything in medicine is, is based on research and science, and we're grateful for it. But I want you to know something, saints, that the Bible says, once appointed to be born, die, then face the judgment. No doctor has your death date except the great physician, Jesus. And if you don't believe that, you will one day. Because there's nothing we can do until Jesus says. So uh, I'm in this series, and I'm, I'm, I'm burning in my heart. Why doesn't God move? And so I come across this, thanks to Kim Martin. Send it to me. I thank you, Seth and Kim, for sending me that. I want you to know what's out there. I want you to, I want you to read. Dr. Crandall has a book that tells you how to reverse you know, all the type of plaque damage and stuff in your heart. It's brilliant stuff that he writes. Uh, I encourage you to, to check this out. But I want you to listen to the interviews. I want you to see what God does in people's lives. God is moving. And I want to tell you and prove to you that he's still moving today. And that he's moving in and through you. And he's moving for us. Because of him. So I want to look at this. I am, I am, why doesn't God move? And I believe one of the reasons that God doesn't move in our lives or we don't see him move in our lives is because of this. When we respond to being an advocate for Jesus, then we'll see God move even in greater ways. What happened? The man, the cardiologist, was on call at the hospital. He, he says, that's it. He's dead. He's walking out the door. God says, go pray for him. Now, I don't know how God spoke to him, but it's probably just a movement in his heart, just like God moved in your heart when you said, I'm going to give my life to Christ and follow him. So he goes back over. He's just like all of us. He doesn't know what to do. 
so he says, God, what do you want me to say? Remember, the word of God says, you, when you're appearing for the people, that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. So God does, I know, listen, I know you're struggling to wrap your mind and believe this really happened. But just go ahead and look at the other links. And then you let the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is truth. And he will judge all truth. And so, this man, this doctor, Crandall, Chauncey Crandall, intercedes. He becomes an advocate for this man. God, if, he's, if he doesn't know you, raise him from the dead. And look what happens. Bring him back to life. And he does. This stuff happens. We just don't believe it. Because we're not, to be honest with you, I'll just put myself out. Because sometimes I'm afraid that if I put myself out there and I, I act on it and God doesn't move, then I look pretty stupid, don't I? I, I might have missed God. But you know what? I, I'm coming to this conclusion. I would rather miss God nine times and have God use me on the tenth time than never experience God at all. How about you? I, I'd rather miss in my frailty. Because you see, just we all know this, none of us are God. But God will use us because he wants us to be an advocate. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And Robbie, I love, you know that was my favorite song, No One Higher, No One Greater. I was sitting there uh, crying, thinking about I was crying down there. Uh, and you know, I might start crying again. Um, just think about how about God moves. That there's no one higher. That He's your advocate. Uh, I got to get the scripture. He is your advocate. That God is fighting you. First John fighting for you. First John ch chapter two. This is an amazing passage in the Lord, and it just speaks to my heart because I think this is what God wants us to do. First John chapter two, verses one and two. My dear children, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Because ultimately our goal is, the reason why God doesn't want us to sin is so that people can see Jesus. That we have victory over our sins. Sin no longer has a shackle on us. No longer are we going to have to be bound by addiction because of the power of Jesus. No longer are we going to be bound by the limitations of our mind because of the power of Jesus. No longer do we have to limit ourselves because sin always decreases, yet Jesus always... So the goal is there is to not sin, but the, the passage assumes that we will. So just get over it. Get over yourself. Get over the piety that you might think you have. We all will sin. There's only one person who will not ever sin, and his name is Jesus. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have a what, saints? We have a what? What does it say? Come on, out loud. I didn't hear you. What? Oh, that's pretty weak. We have a what? I think you're going to be really excited. That's why I love when y'all yell. Um, I think we're going to be really excited one day to realize how much Jesus is our advocate. You, see, that man went in and became an advocate for that dead man. Jesus became an advocate for us because we were dead. Ephesians 2.1 In our sins we are dead in our trespasses. Our spirits were dead and every time we saw a TV show with a preacher we laughed. Every time somebody opened the Bible we didn't understand and every time people said they were following God we had no desire. Our spirits were graveyard dead. But miraculously God chose each and every one of us to hear the gospel and then our spirits became alive and something inside us said yes to the Lord there was a movement of God and now because of that yes we are in his family and Jesus just doesn't stop there he continues to be our advocate because he wants us to be an advocate for somebody else let me give you the definition of an advocate in the Greek it means this it means this and it's a beautiful passage called 
Don't miss that. Called to one's aid who pleads another's cause before a judge. Called to one's aid who pleads another cause for a judge or to a judge. Called. The Bible says that we are called. You do not have a career. I do not have a career. We have a calling, saints. We have a vocation. Vocare. Latin. To call. We are now called. God calls us into a certain vocation. We step into it and we become the voice of the living God. We become the image of God. We are his this co-regents with Christ. We are his representatives on earth and we proclaim the gospel and we live out this image of God making things better. Engineers make things better. Uh, you've got mathematicians making things better. You've got teachers making things better. They're moving children into intellectual ideas and, and, and foundations. They are making things better. They are Genesis 2 living out, cultivating the ground that God gave us. And you're doing it. And you are an advocate because we have an advocate. Romans 8 says that Jesus is interceding for us and the Spirit is interceding for us. And I had no idea that I was going to preach this. I had no plan on this. And then my brother and my nephew uh, uh, come down to see me and I don't get to see them much. And, and they're, uh, they're just like the heroes in my life. And they are advocates. In fact, they're sitting right there. They're the only people here with suits on. You can't miss them. And they are some of the, those two of my twister are my heroes, best attorneys I know. They are advocates, and my brother prays, and they pray with those people. Those people that are being tried for murder, or being tried for cocaine, or being up for some type of huge felony, and he's praying because he's called by God. People would run away, but he's called to be an advocate. He warns me all the time, John. He says, you're just one accusation. Do you not, James, say this to me? You're one accusation away. Listen, my dad, and he will testify, as God is my witness, my dad was not a touchy-feely man, was he, James? Not at all. But my mom, she hugged just about anybody. Well, maybe not anybody, depending on how clean you were. She's not going to touch you, might not, you know, they kind of smell it. She's not going there, but, but she loved you. And so my mom would stretch me, and so when I stand at the door and I hug y'all, it's a stretch for me. Because deep down inside, I'm like, oh my word, you know, uh, you know, it's just real easy to just say, hey, I love you, I'm here for you, call me, let's get together and move on. But I hug you because I know that something about a pastoral touch. But then there's fear in my heart, Jeremy Pollitt. Because all it takes is one person to say, John touched me wrong. And don't think, I don't think about that all the time. Because I hear the voice of my brother echo in my mind one accusation John and you'll spend the rest of your life defending yourself and you know what everybody will think of me won't they another preacher gone crazy another preacher trying to just cop a feel oh come on we family can we not just talk about the real issues 
That's what exact, and, and it crosses my mind. DJ, every time I hug you, every time it crosses my mind, one accusation away, I hear that, and I could live in fear as a pastor, and I could run away from being right with people, and when they cry, or when they're laughing, or just seeing them, letting them know, I just want people to know that they are loved and appreciated by God, and every time I hug you, that's what I'm trying to communicate, that God loves you. But I know that there's one, I'm one just accusation away. But here's what I love. I love that there are people that are called by God to stand in the gap for those who are wrongly accused. And it's very easy for us not to be advocates. It's very easy for not us not to move into being advocates. It's very easy for us to move from advocate to accuser. Is anybody tracking me all the way today? It's real easy to be an accuser. Because you want to know why it's easy to be an accuser? Because it's easy to stand and judge people on things that we don't struggle with. It's real easy to become an accuser. You see, this is what I want you to see. That we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, our righteous Savior, who is our advocate. You see, you have to understand something. There's something going on right now in the spiritual realm. And I know that some people say, I don't really believe in the spiritual realm. Oh, you will one day. Those things don't happen. Oh, that's just an outlier. That just breaks the stats. Really? Then how come the man isn't brain dead? How come my nephew right here, who has died twice at birth, how come he is not brain dead when the doctors at Wake Forest Hospital setting wood, Seth, Setting wood as my twin sister yelled at them as they told him, my, my twin sister to pull the James is my witness, told him to pull the plug on that man. Where, where are the mathematicians there? The stats say brain dead as his teeth rotted out from the medicine as a baby in a halo. Where are the stats? Because God stepped in. And God will do that for you. God is your advocate. Somebody's against you. Guess what? We sing about it. Robbie was quoting scripture. Man, we don't serve a God who's made by these wooden, about, about wooden and, and iron by hands of men. We serve a God who is alive and well. And who will defend and who will stand in the gap. And no weapon formed against you will prosper. And if that weapon is a person, they won't prosper if you stand for Jesus. We have an advocate with Jesus. We have an advocate. But we have to move from, from being accusers to advocate. Because accusers are very different. Lucifer, what does that mean? What's Lucifer mean? I've done a terrible job teaching. Shining one. Morning star. Notice Jesus is called the bright and morning star, by the way, in Revelation. Is he not, Jeremy? There's your sermon. When you get into zombies and vampires and all the crazy stuff that you like. Um, so there you go. But here's what I want to say. He was Lucifer. Kicked out of heaven. Then he becomes Satan. What does Satan mean? Yeah, that adversary, you're right. He is our adversary. Revelation, watch this. Revelation 12.10, look at this. She's going to put it up there because Brandy is my adopted daughter and she loves me. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, Satan, of 
our brethren has been thrown down and he accuses them before God day and night. He stands to accuse you. He stands as your accuser. He stands as your adversary because if somebody cannot hurt me, they're going to hurt my children. Since he can do... Listen, do you think there's really a match between Satan and God? It's a joke. How can a created being, Satan, take on the creator? Have you thought about that? A, a created being taking on the one who created him? What a joke. It would be worse than a two-year-old trying to fight you. A, a created being cannot beat the creator. So he stands and accuses God, uh, uh, us in front of God. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Look at his thought life. Look at her thought life. Look at her gossip. Look at his selfish thoughts. Look at what he said to his child. Look at what he did to his grandchild. Look how he treated his grandmother. Oh, how about the Bible says, do not despise your mother when she is old. And how many of us might have done something dishonorable? To our family. So, again, accuse, accuse, accuse. But yet, Jesus stands in the gap. And so God is asking us to stand in the gap. He's asking us to be this person who brings life, who brings life, who becomes an advocate like that doctor standing between death and life. Between judgment and freedom. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 says this. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a what? New creation. And, and that means we're God's poem, right? Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, his poem. We, that's where the, the Greek word where we get the word poem. We're to be read at, by all men because poems are deeper than just words. They have, they have rhythm to it. They have life to it. It speaks deep to who we are. Oh, with this, so with this new creation now, all things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Every good thing you did before Jesus is nothing but rubbish. Every good thing you did means nothing in front of God. It means absolutely nothing. And we've got a, lot, a world of people that don't know Jesus that say, I am doing good things. And all good things apart from Christ are idolatry. 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what saints? Oh, that's good. All right, here we go, 19. And that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. I was reading this morning in my, no, I was actually with Lou over there. We were talking about it, First Corinthians chapter 9, that the blessings that come from the gospel, when you give your life to the gospel, when you give your life to the gospel, then there's blessings that come with that. And so there's this message of reconciliation, the gospel, right? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty for us. And it was horrible, and it was horrific, and he was perfect, and he was pure. And so because of that, that we stand under no penalty with God. No penalty. None. When we die, we stand in front of God, and we don't say, I was a preacher. I led a thousand people to Jesus. I did all this for you. No, we stand, and we said, it's nothing but the blood of Jesus because he paid my price. Amen and hallelujah. And because they, he did it for free, because he did it for free gives us hope because we don't have to earn it. We don't have to like, oh, I'm in good grace now. 
no, I'm a sin now, I'm out of your grace. You can't lose something that was given for free. That's called eternal security. But then the beautiful part that brings us eternal security as well is the sealing of the Holy Spirit, which is the third part of the gospel, which is the greatest part of the gospel for me is that the Holy Spirit is living within us, pressing us more towards the presence of Christ, more towards our advocate, that one day he will have to stand in defense. One day he'll say, well done, good and... Y'all ain't listening. Faithful servant. You know I'm talking smack because it's true. Good. Let's keep going. We are there for Christ's ambassadors, advocates, as though God were making his appeal through us. I don't know why Jesus doesn't just show up in a nuclear warhead and say, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. I don't know why he doesn't do that. But he chooses to use us because I believe that's the best way we can do it. We are his ambassador. So we live and flow in the movement of Christianity. We are all missionaries. Yes, some missionaries are called overseas. Some missionaries are called downtown. Some missionaries are called to Somerville. Some to Goose Creek. We are all missionaries. Everybody is a missionary, an ambassador, an advocate. One called to one's aid to stand and defend against a cause to a judge. Twenty-one. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We get the righteousness of Jesus. That's the gospel, right? That's why we're right with him. And now to others, we become the righteousness of God. We proclaim Jesus. So here's what I want us to look at, these marks of an advocate and advocate. And I, uh, advocate versus accuser. I want to give you this. The first mark of an advocate. Here we go, number one. Ready? The first mark of an advocate. An advocate listens first. An advocate listens first. Now, I want to tell you, I'm struggling to talk about this text because let me just, let me, let me take you into my academic world for a minute. There are some preachers that won't preach this text because in some of the earliest manuscripts and in some of the uh, copies of manuscripts, we don't have this passage in Scripture. So if you have your NIV Bible, it might be italicized and in brackets. Uh, some Bibles, if you're King James and you use the Masoretic text, then you're going to, which is, I'm not trying to get too fancy, but that's what they base that Scripture on. There's all these different texts. We have over 5,000 partials or full copies of the Greek New Testament. So don't freak out. It's not that we don't have enough Bible. We have a lot of Bible. Some, some scholars said we have too much Bible, because we, we really do. We have tons and tons and tons of copies. But this text has always been a questionable text, so I stay away from it in some ways, but at the same time, I think it gives light on the way that Jesus flowed. John chapter 8. It's a quite popular text, and people have met, written many songs about it. You've, you've heard it growing up uh, if, you, if you grew up in corporate worship gatherings, but it's a popular text. And, and so in my text, in my Bible, NIV Bible here, it's italicized. Um, and it's got lines in it, and it kind of gives you the, the textual criticism behind that. All right, so let's look at uh, John chapter 8, verse 4. So here's this woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus can either stand as her advocate, or he can stand as her accuser. Correct? He can stand as advocate, or he can stand as accuser. But advocates always listen first. Verse 4. And I thank Judas Smith for that thought through the Holy Spirit. And said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, accuser language, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Women, excuse me. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Remember, accusers don't only want to accuse the person that's wrong, but they want you to go down as well. Which means this. They don't even want the defendant to go down. They want the lawyer to go down with the defendant. Can I get a witness, James? And so 
way it works with accusers. Accusers are highly judgmental. They believe in the death penalty first. Not us, by the way. We believe in redemption first, do we not? Do, do you not believe in redemption and restoration first? Creation, right? All, the Bible's in four words. Creation, fall, restored in Christ, right? Or excuse me, redeemed, restoration. That's it. Look what he says. They were, accusing this, uh, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, maybe she was at his feet. I don't know, probably. Which is interesting that he bent down towards her. That the first thing he did was not respond. The first thing he did was listen first. That means this. I love what Judas Smith said. The heart of an advocate says nothing. The spirit of an advocate is slow to speak. James 1S language. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to what? Anger. I mean, immediately at that point. See, it's pretty easy, he said, to have the attitude of accuser. See, uh, the attitude of accuser, there's always levels of lostness. The attitude of accuser, he said, always has levels of lostness. In other words, like this, a level, uh, an accuser always stands like this. I'm going to use an example, Eric, okay? Since I heard you are connected to the Sasquatch. Um, that's sorry, that was a youth joke. They know what I'm talking about. Um, but the, the thing about this is, Eric, is this. Accusers have a level of lostness. They might say, look at Eric. Eric has done these things. But me... I mean, I've done some bad things, but I haven't done what he's done. Are y'all tracking me? That's the, that's the attitude of an accuser. The attitude of an accuser, there's always levels of lostness. Wow, he's really bad. Ugh. Well, you trashy. Right? That's the attitude of an accuser, but that's not the attitude of an advocate. An advocate listens first. The advocate always listens first. The, the advocate is not looking at the dress of the one who's being accused. The, the advocate is not looking at the brokenness or the environment or the culture where they came from. The advocate is listening for truth. I love this. So, that's what they said, John, you're telling me to be an advocate? Well, what about when people falsely accuse me? What about when people wrong me? What about when people, what about when people do us wrong? Well, can, I, can I not accuse them? Because tell the truth, inside our heart, our hearts are screaming, God, do something against this injustice. And yes, that's a right feeling to have. That's a good feeling to have. But here's what God is also telling us. We can have those feelings, but God's going to be the one to make it right. How do we fight bitterness and revenge? And so I was reading uh, my favorite book outside of Scripture is Future Grace by John Piper. I, I have eaten this book and eaten this book for years. And I just, I, I just, I was kind of reading in some stuff in that. Here's the, here's the thing I want to say about bitterness and revenge. First, if we stay in bitterness, if we say, John, I'm just tired of being, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an accuser in this point. I'm tired of being um, treated wrong. People have wronged me. People have done me wrong. I've had people, whatever the circumstance is. We've all been in it, right? Where people have done us wrong. Those who know you the best hurt you the most, right? Luke chapter 4, it was Jesus when he went to his hometown and preached his first sermon. They wanted to take him off and throw him off a cliff. Which gives you the principle, those who know you the best hurt you the most. That's the way it works in life. Try to do it to Jesus. 
But Jesus walks right through the crowd. Anyway, so what do we do? How do we deal with that? If I want to be an accuser and feel this bitterness and revenge in my heart, the word of God has something very clear. If we stay in bitterness and unforgiveness, I love what Piper says, and of course the scripture says it, is that we stand, our souls are in danger. Did you know that? That if you and I stay in unforgiveness, okay, let me put it this way. There are such things as conditional grace. If you and I stand in unforgiveness, we will go to hell. John, I, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Ah, oh, contraire. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. If you cannot forgive others of their sins, how can your Heavenly Father do what? I didn't hear you. Forgive you. Which means this. Christians who struggle with unforgiveness will always forgive because of the work of the Holy Spirit. But people who call themselves Christians who choose to have unforgiveness are not Christians. They are condemned. I didn't write the scripture. Jesus did. That's called conditional grace. There are conditions. If you and I hold unforgiveness and we refuse to forgive others, I want to tell you something. I'm not telling you this. The word of God says this. The very words of Jesus Christ that our Heavenly Father can't forgive us if we can't forgive others. Christians will always come to the conclusion they will forgive. It might take us time now. Don't, don't beat yourself up and go, go all wild on me. It might take some time, but we will always forgive. But I want to get to this. But the second thing is Jesus, Jesus left vengeance into God's hands and prayed for his enemies. Remember he was on the cross? Luke, uh, I think it was 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they know not what they... Yeah, in other words, Jesus always left vengeance to the Lord and he prayed for his enemies. So that's what we do. When, and to, to move to an advocate instead of an accuser, to, to move to that is we have to... Be a he was a defender for the, even his enemies. It blows my mind that he was doing this. Think about it this way. John Piper wrote it this way. No one has ever lived who is more worthy of honor than Jesus. And no one has been dishonored more. How did he control himself when scoundrels whose very lives he sustained spit in his face? Right? The Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. He's sustaining their very lives. And yet the very lives are condemning him. Blows me away. Yet Jesus was always the advocate. First Peter chapter 2 answers this. Check this out. This is how we move into the place of being an advocate. Even when people wrong us so we don't walk around as bitter individuals and mad and angry at the world. First Peter chapter 2 verses 22 and 23. He, about Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Look at this. Verse 23. When they hurled insults, their insults at him. What does the Bible say? He did not what saints? Yeah, he didn't retaliate. He, 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 in other words, he, he always, always took the heart of an advocate. He listened first. He made no threats. When he suffered, he made no threats. Look at this. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I believe in the Greek. I didn't look it up my Greek New Testament. I, sh I should have done this with my, my Greek. I believe that's a participle, a present participle, where he keeps on entrusting. 
Uh, you can look up online. Tanner's brother, he's a genius. You, you can look it up on your phone for me. Uh, but I believe, it's a, I believe it's a present participle where he keeps on trusting. In other words, he keeps on trusting God who's going to judge justice. And, John's, and God says this in Romans 12, 9. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now this is what's awesome. So God says, the, uh, the, the non-Christians who do us wrong, God is going to have them pay their debts in hell. Think about that for a moment. The one that never dies, darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You grit your teeth so bad that they shatter. All because they've sinned against the holy God. And God, all the things, think about the horrific acts. Think about all the things they've done wrong. Think about the child, children that have been molested. Think about the people that have gone through such pain. Think about the abuse. Think about the hatred. Think about the crimes of injustice that have happened in this world. Those people were burning. I'm going to tell you something. That's way worse than anything you and I could do to anybody. Do you know that? But watch this. There's two levels where God pays. This is why I'm having to wrap my mind and we're going to be done. There's two levels where God pays his vengeance back. And I want you to think about this, Jeremy, because you like to ponder deep things. One level, he takes vengeance on people and he, who do not repent, right? Who do not come to saving knowledge of him, they go to hell, right? Then there's another way that Jesus takes out his vengeance, or God takes out his vengeance on people who sin he takes his vengeance out on Jesus on the cross watch well John what happens when a Christian Jeremy Pollock social pastor who pastors with me I shouldn't say social we're all pastors um, he let's say he sins against me let's say he lies I'm making something up he would never do that I would I'll be the one that wrongs him but he's godly uh, but let's just say he does something wrong against me he's a Christian it hurt me. It devastated me. It pained me what he did to me. So now all of a sudden he comes to me and he says, listen, I was wrong. You know, can you forgive me? And the Bible's just like, forgive him, John. You know, if you can't forgive others, your Heavenly Father can't forgive you. Remember what the pastor just said? Ha, ha, ha. And so it's almost as if it's making light of the pain that he caused me. It's almost as if, well, when you do something to another Christian, they're just supposed to forgive you. Let me tell you how God does it. Think about this for a moment. God said that what Jeremy did to me was so bad and so wrong that instead of Jeremy going to hell for the sin against an almighty God, he's going to take his sin and he is going to bring out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so that he can live. Have you ever thought of it that way? Now, I just gave you something really deep, didn't I? If your husband sins against you and he's a believer and you forgive him, Jesus took the offense against you so strongly that he, God took it. He says, I'm going to take the pain that he caused you and I'm going to put it all on Jesus on the cross. For it pleased God to crush him, Isaiah 53 says. A man of sorrows. And that is why we can forgive others. That those who turn to Jesus, they didn't get off scot-free God took the punishment and the pain that he endured and that we endured and he put it all on Jesus on the cross. And for those that reject him, then they will have to pay. You see, the heart of an advocate always listens first. And then second, I'm done. You ready? Because here's your call. 
The second part is this, and I think this is beautiful. The second part of an advocate is that he gets in the dirt. Go back to John chapter 8. Look at, look at verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. He got in the dirt. He got low. He got with the mess. He got next to the broken. He got next to the hurting. He went and did. He became an advocate. Like my brother, like my nephew, right with those people. He got dirty with them. God is calling us as advocates to get dirty with people. To get with the ones that are broken. To get with the ones that are in pain. To get with the ones that are in need. To get dirty with them. Oh, and we will see that there are accusers in the end will drop their stones which is the punishment of the accusation because there's only one who stands rightly as a judge and he is our God God is calling us to be advocates to be a defender to be a defender James I wanted to tell you and this is the only that you're my hero I've always looked up to you You've been one of the best friends anybody can ever have. And you ask them that I brag on you all the time. And I thank God for you standing with the weak. And he catches a lot of flack. How can you stand with a murderer? Is that what it's about? might I remind you that a murderer was set free so that Jesus could be killed I want to tell you I don't care who's wronged you in your life the pain that you felt it either went on Jesus God's going to put it on Jesus or they're going to pay for it in hell but I want to tell you this you don't stop you don't stop defending be an advocate and who is God calling you to be an advocate for today if you don't know, I'm going to invite you to come and pray. If you do know, I'm inviting you to come and pray for them. If you do know, I'm going to invite you to ask God to give you the strength to stand because your accusers will be strong. But I want to ask you today, are you going to be an advocate? Because I thank God while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Huh? Christ died for me. He died for you. How we were we deserve judgment we deserved it Christ died for us and he did it because he kept entrusting his life to the Father I'm going to tell you Jesus some bad things have happened in your life and amen I love you DJ and she's got a great testimony some bad things have happened to her but she didn't stop moving she didn't stop being an advocate for others. She didn't live as a victim. She started living as a victor because of Jesus. Who are you going to defend today? Because Jesus will defend you. Who are you going to defend? Father, it's my prayer. I can't wait till the Robbie sings over us. I can't wait because I love this man of God. I love his mom and dad. I love their friends who I just met. Love them. God, I'm praying that you'll move mightily, that you'll flood this altar, that we're going to stand and be advocates, Lord, that we're not just going to take it lightly. 
there are people that don't know any better, Lord. I didn't know any better. I, I sinned so bad, I just didn't know. I didn't realize the depth of my sin and the pain that I caused. I didn't know, Lord. And you're calling us in this room to be advocates, to stand in the gap for people. I don't know if it's for a grandparent. I don't know if it's a grandparent for a grandchild. I don't know if it's for a friend or if it's for a lost family member. I don't know if it's for a person overseas. I don't know who it's for, but you're calling us to be defenders because you are the great defender. You're the one who's going to stand in for us. You're the one who's going to stand. You'll do the work, God. You're just asking us to obey to trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but just to keep on trusting ourselves to the one who will bring justice and that's why you tell us to seek justice so love mercy and walk humbly for our God God who in this room who do we need to pray for who do we need to call out for who do we need strength for God who do you need to help us maybe we need to even ask who do I have to go and defend God move please God I beg you Lord that you would anoint the music and the words in this team that it would move us mightily. God, flood this altar with the people that are willing to defend. And for those that are offending, may they keep on defending as they stand in the gap by the power of Jesus. They don't stand alone. And they don't stand with a co-pilot. They stand with the one whose shoulders all governments stand upon. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting. He is Jesus, the King. He is our Savior. Thank you for Jesus, for being our defender. And Lord, if there's anyone who's never sold out, who's never entrusted you with their very life, God, I pray they would make that decision today and they'd let us know. God, flood this place. I know your spirit wants to move. Help us not to just stay where we are. Just help us to go hard after you. I ask this in Jesus' name.